Hello listeners, I'm Ney and welcome back to another episode of the Focal Point podcast. Today I'm excited to be joined by Salman Ahmed, the Global Head of Macro and Strategic Asset Allocation at Fidelity International. After graduating from Lahore University of Management Sciences and the University of Cambridge, Salman began his career at Watson Wyatt as an investment analyst and following this, he joined Goldman Sachs as a global economist for four years. He then joined Lombard ODA Investment Managers as Chief Investment Strategist and Co-Chair of the Global Investment Committee, where he stayed for seven years before taking on his current role at Fidelity International in August of 2020 at the height of the pandemic. Alongside a successful career in the corporate world, Salman also holds a PhD in economics from the University of Cambridge. A very warm welcome to the podcast today. Salman, how are you doing today? Thank you, Ney. Great to be here and thank you for inviting me over. It's a pleasure to have you and we're very excited to hear all of your insights from across your career journey. And so just to kick things off, obviously I've given a very brief overview of just sort of the roles and the companies that you've worked at, but it'd be really good if you could take our listeners through your career journey in a bit more depth. Sure. So yeah, so the career started a few few years ago now. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's been one focused on, on, on my calling, which is macroeconomics. So I've I fell in love with economics when I was first introduced to it in, during my A-levels and, and then stuck to it. I did make a detour when I joined Watson White after finishing my MPhil at, at Cambridge for a couple of years. And, and, and I, then I significantly realized that, that macro indeed was my, my passion. And that's why I went back to school and then joined Goldman Sachs in the macro team. So yes, I've, uh, I've focused on macro. I, I I enjoy it, and it's it's really what you know. One of those things where you are doing macro and you don't feel like doing work type of sentiment, if you will. Thank you for sharing that. And now moving on to sort of your role right now, which is you know quite a large role. You're managing you know quite a lot of teams. I assume a lot of people, and so it'd be nice for our listeners to hear about you know what does your role entail on a day-to-day basis? On a day-to-day basis, of course, macro is one field which is subjected to a lot of uncertainty. So at its core, what we are trying to do is, is, is build you know, frameworks and, and, and thinking methods to understand you know, business cycles, understand policy cycles and their impact on asset classes and, and, and returns. Ultimately, we are focused on these, these dynamics, if you will, uh, for our clients who, you know, whether they are pension funds, insurance companies, sole wealth funds, or even individual investors who are saving for their, for their retirement, our, our aim is to, to, to build financial futures. But it, within my remit, it's, it's by looking at, you know, what policies and how they interact with asset classes, asset class returns, both short term, medium term and long term, although the definition can vary a little bit depending on how volatile the markets are, but but we have to keep an eye on 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 the various different horizons. So I work with my various teams to achieve that. Whether it's looking at macro purely or looking at asset allocation questions, which which we are trying to solve for our for our clients. Thank you for sharing that. I think that sounds really exciting that you're able to use you know a field that you love, macroeconomics, to deliver real world value to clients and, you know, use that to analyze assets and things like that. And now I wanted to ask, you know, obviously you've had a very long and successful career in the corporate world and also, you know, 
as an economist, you know, you've got a PhD from, from Cambridge in the subject. So I wanted to ask, you know, what in your eyes are the most important skills that you need to succeed as an economist? So economics is, 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 is an interesting field because it's not a pure science, although it borrows a lot from physics, chemistry, and all the underlying principles can be quite mathematically based. In fact, over the last, when I was went to school, this is early 2000, obviously, or late 90s, economics was being taken over by, by mathematics. So everything was becoming very quantitative driven. But ultimately, the qualitative aspects are important because ultimately, it's the humans who are involved in those economic decision making. And what we have seen over the last few years is that politics has become so important. So economics is one field which tries to capture all those moving dimensions. And it's not just the mathematical models, which are, they are useful and, and depends on how you are applying them. But ultimately having an understanding that ultimately you are focused on humans and, and their expectations and, they, and humans make mistakes, whether they are policymakers, whether they are politicians or whether they are investors. So, so that makes it very fascinating because sometimes there's no right or wrong answer, uh, which is very different from physics where, you know, the, you know, for example, the gravitational constants are, 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 are clear. You're looking at testable or empirical evidence. In economics, there's only one history. So, so, so you're trying to learn from, from the different historical templates and errors, but you don't have the luxury of you know, a lab experiment. Everything is happening in, 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 in the real world and it has real consequences. So we saw over the last couple of years how inflation can become so, such a political and a social issue. And, and, and economics is, 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 is at the center of that in terms of, and I genuinely believe economics can make life, life for people better because it can give a, you know, a rational way of, of, of thinking about solving the problems of scarcity. So, so it, that's what it makes it fascinating. No, thank you for that. That's, I couldn't agree more. It's an incredibly fascinating area because of the way it links to all aspects of our life as an economic student myself I can agree there's definitely a lot of maths involved and it can be easy to lose sight of the fact that all that maths you know it's there's people behind that in the real world they are driving that maths and what we see in our equations and theories and assumptions so yeah thank you for sharing that and now I'd like to talk more about your role right now within Fidelity Obviously, you joined, you know, in 2020, which was a difficult time for most people, given the pandemic and the stresses and the uncertainty. So could you take us through your experience, you know, working in this position of global head of macro and strategic asset allocation throughout the pandemic? You know, how did you adapt to the uncertainty in your line of work and how did you guide your team through that? Sure. So as you said, it wasn't an easy time to join. In fact, I didn't see my team for well well above 13 months so you know it was like just switching on zoom one day and changing my laptop literally when i switched over from lombardo dia to 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 fidelity but at that point i think given the challenges we were facing there was also a lot of you know common bonds which started to get created because of the common challenges we were facing especially both on the professional and personal front so and and I think that helped. So that trust building based on those common uh, challenges became easier to, I would say, so to, to come through. But ultimately, you have to, you know, have a common aim, common goal. And, and, and that's what I'm thankful to my colleagues and my team members for trusting me during those challenges, even though they hadn't seen me <laughs> till, till much, much after. 
uh, but it was a challenging time and, and and it got better when we started going to the office and then both that's what you you know uh, realize what you're missing okay zoom and uh, and online interactions are quite efficient but they cannot replace face to face you know interactions body language especially in our business of finance which is based on trust and 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 that also needs you know those those full full dimensions of communication to come come into play which you which we used to take for 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 granted but ultimately it comes back to to the underlying trust and understanding and and showing empathy and compassion during that period so that i think my colleagues showed that to me and and i was able to you know to contribute as well which which led us to where we are right now no it's really great to hear that you know that common goal was able to unify you guys as a team even during such a difficult time and yeah a lot of people yeah had pretty similar experiences not being able to you know see their teams or their their classmates and things like that online but thank you for sharing your unique experience during that time and now i wanted to ask you more about sort of trends i guess in the macro economy globally as a whole so obviously these last two years especially this last year it feels like there's been a lot of pessimism a lot of you know things going wrong in the macro economy we've had omicron at the beginning of the year the russia ukraine war UK's had three different prime ministers and, you know, the recession. And it feels like there's very little that has really gone well in macroeconomic terms. So is there any reason to be optimistic in 2023? And what do you think are the most important macroeconomic lessons to take away from 2022? So 2022 was, was an important year because I think it, it, it came on the back of very big policy support which was offered during the during the lockdowns and and of course the covid crisis so both on the monetary policy front i.e the central banks keeping interest rates very low or printing money in some cases in unlimited unlimited in some cases unlimited manner plus the fact that the governments were also willing to spend money and give money to 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 the to the private sector both individuals and and corporates created a lot of imbalances, and we saw that in the shortage of goods, supply chain disruptions as a result of the COVID pandemic, but also a very strong increase in demand because people were sitting with a lot of money which they were saving as as they couldn't go out. So that imbalance was underestimated by key policymakers, and but then they realized that you know these imbalances are in place, and then we started seeing these very significant tightening coming through from key central banks led by the by the Federal Reserve. That has clearly affected how investors view the value of their investments across fixed income or and and equities. So we have got a lot of re-rating or, or downward shift in valuations of, of key asset classes. Then on top of that, China was going through its own economic cycle driven by its zero COVID policy and the very profound shift in their economic model, which will be... Um, fell for years to come and and last not the least the war the, the very tragic war in, in ukraine which has put on the table the question of energy and, and military security of europe so this is a big year in terms of shocks but we will be dealing with those implications for years to come and and then we are moving away from a era of of you know less capital flows frictionless trade to to an era which will be much dominated by politics and 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 and, and views of national security which which will become even more significant going forward so i i view 2022 as a very significant year in terms of probably start of a new era whereby a more broader based macro set of factors including politics and geopolitics will be very important for years to come mm-hmm. 
Thank you for sharing those insights. That's pretty interesting to hear from someone you know who studied economics you know, in that much depth, and you know you use it in your career so much. And another thing I wanted to move on to talk about was obviously inflation. It's been an incredibly hot topic this year. You actually talked to Bloomberg about this quite recently about rethinking that two percent target for inflation. So in that regard, do you think it's ever possible to get back to that low interest rate, low inflation era that we were able to enjoy? So, well, anything is possible, <laughs> but but there are some important underlying factors which were driving that low interest, low inflation era, especially when what we saw after the GFC, which is the global financial crisis of 2008-2009. So we saw globalization playing a big role in keeping inflation rate low. That's changing, especially given the context of US-China decoupling. Then there is, of course, the fact that the focus now on deglobalization, climate change becoming such an important factor and 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 and, 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 and a challenge, which all of of us, in, you know, whether it's the general public, whether it's the policymakers, or whether it's our industry, we agree that's going to be a very important challenge to 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 deal with going forward. But ultimately, it is likely to be inflationary because you will need a new energy system unless miraculously you get you know, synthetic oil, which stops <laughs> stops emissions, but but other alternative options like renewables or usage of electricity, if you will, for or green electricity for for energy consumption means new infrastructure will be needed. So all that factors may may add to inflation. And then last but not least, we are in a world where there's a lot of debt in the system. That's important for the current generation, but also very important for the future generation, like yourself and and, and your listeners. Because, because the systems have put on a lot of debt, especially during COVID. And that debt has to be paid off. And when interest rates go up, the servicing costs start to rise and inflation plays a very, can play a very important role in deflating that debt. So it's like a taxation, which is happening. But unfortunately, that taxation is regressive in the sense it hits the, you know, the lower income segments of the society much more. But it's also a stealth taxation, which can happen over longer period of time so nobody feels the pain immediately if you will so uh, all in all we do think that there are important factors in place now for inflation to average higher and, and become more volatile than it has been in the last 15 20 years thank you for sharing those insights yeah it's pretty interesting we are entering a very different economic time to the one that you know we had pre-pandemic and I think those, you know, the points that you've mentioned, yeah, they're pretty important to note taking forward things like debt, our energy mix, especially with the war ongoing. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. And now talking about sort of more optimistic things, you know, do you, what in your eyes are the most exciting trends do you think that are set to shape the global economy into the future? I think technological developments to solve the climate change issue are are, are important, but also I think can show the important, you know, the human ingenuity to solve complicated problems. And that in itself is quite exciting. But, but the risk is that, you know, it has to be done quickly before we lose that window of opportunity. So recently I was, you know, very excited to hear about fusion technology working in one of those experiments which were done in the US. It's too far, far away from commercial application, but it's a huge development in the sense like that humans can start to think about unlimited source of energy at least in, at least in a, in that scale if you will so i'm optimistic about human ability to solve complex problems where i'm less optimistic is that you know 
if we can come together to agree that these are challenges which need you know everybody's focus and and the system has to also create those incentives to to deliver change so it's a it's it's a bittersweet feeling if you will <laughs> I agreed that the news of the nuclear fusion reactor was very exciting to hear about, but you're very correct in terms of putting it into context and sort of the scale of this that it would have to that it would have to like you know build up to to be able to solve a lot of our problems. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. And now I wanted to talk about again your career and your role right now. So again, you know, looking forward into the future, what do you think will be your biggest priorities as global head of macro and strategic asset allocation? You know, in the coming years, and where do you see Fidelity International heading into the future? So when it comes to macro, I think we have to be humble that there will be new, always be new factors which we have to. to learn and and teach ourselves about we're not in university so you know it's not like things don't finish with a quiz <laughs> it's the university's environment and the education environment are are learning grounds for us so you have to go back to that same mindset of keeping an open mind and and we are all learning so you know whether they are junior members of my team or senior members of the team you know i tend to support open debate and discussions because you know I, i'm the first one to say that you know there are some of the issues like which happened last time during the 70s when i wasn't even around <laughs> so so we have to learn and keep an open mind about these new forces and how they will shape the dynamics policy cycles and of course then as market returns and when it comes to fidelity i think our our main aim is to build better financial futures and that's how what we are focused on and and we want to deliver value to our investors but we want to do it in a way which is consistent and sustainable and that's why climate change is a very important uh, challenge for us and that's why we are wiring it through our investment processes we want to play our role in 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 uh, you know building and driving change through through capital market developments but we also understand that we are not the only player in that complex challenge but it's 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 a very important area for us and that's where a lot of our teams and a lot of our resources are you know focused on because it's important for our clients it's important for our for my colleagues it's important for my our employees and 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 that means we have to take it very seriously Well, it's very nice to hear that you know Fidelity is such a large company is taking steps to embed that sustainability into what it does. So yeah, thank you. And also now switching gear, I wanted to ask more again about your career. In terms of you know obviously you know you've moved across so many companies, you've moved across different countries, and you know so many different roles. And you know across you know that career, what do you think are the most important lessons that you've learned that you'd like to share with our listeners? the most important lesson i've learned is that that you have to keep in a very open mind and humble mind towards towards uh, you know what we're trying to achieve if you will one sometimes fads and fashion come through you know things take hold which everybody starts you know talking about like like a chinese whisper which 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 grows into a to to a much bigger idea if you will but i think ra- using the tools of rationality are important and keeping expectations anchored that that you know the things can take time to happen whether it's career progression whether it's you know in and in good value analysis and and there is no shortcut to 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 hard work not in the 
within the context of work-life balance, but you know, there's no shortcut to application. And and when things get tougher, those are the dimensions which start to become very important and 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 can become a differentiating factor. Ultimately, we are all participants in a very capitalist system where merit is 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 key, and we should not forget that. Even if in the short term other factors start to take hold, it's it's it's, it's about getting that balance right because because. Uh, all other factors are important, but ultimately we have to deliver value. And that's what our system is organized as. So that's something I, I thought may be useful in, in the current environment. I think those are some very deep insights. I think our listeners will definitely gain you know, value from hearing that. And I think on a similar note, I wanted to ask if there's any advice specifically for university students or recent graduates that you'd like to share, like, you know, who might be listening to the podcast. The main advice I would share is 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 is, is be uh, true to yourself in the sense like if you enjoy a field, you know, double down on it, no matter what economic benefits or you know commercial benefits you may get out of it, and 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 keep that as an outcome of 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 the process, not as a goal, if you will. If you're good, if you are able to provide value to the society. You know, you'll get a job, you'll get a good career, but career then itself is not a goal. It's it's an outcome of 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 doing what you enjoy well, and and I think that's a way, a different way of going about things. So that's what I share with my 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 colleagues who you know who who, uh, who engage me and and ask me the same question, which is you know focus on getting better at what you do, getting better at what your your craft is, because then success becomes an outcome, not the goal. I think that's a really unique and valuable perspective. And it seems like you've really embedded that advice in your own career, you know, following your passion and using that in your career journey. But on that note, I think I'll have to wrap up the podcast here. Thank you so much, so much for being on the podcast today. And thank you to our listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode.